So hopefully you can get a get a handout. Um, let's uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this day and um, this time to reflect on your word, Lord. And I pray that this time would be edifying and encouraging to everyone in this room, Lord, to take up and read, Lord, uh, take up your word, uh, read it. I pray that um, these gleanings from um, the, the Puritans uh, would be uh, encouraging to our hearts and, and would motivate us to be uh, bringing Christians that's, that search the scriptures day and night, Lord, to, um, to honor you. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. So um, you'll see that there's quite a few pages. Um, for the sake of ease of use, I listed all of the scripture verses and printed them out for you. Um, if you want to follow along, go right ahead. I don't mind all the shuffling of the pages of the Bible or if you have an app. But I thought it would be a little easier to um, just have all the, all the passages uh, there for you. Because um, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Um, the last time um, I was here, I think it was over the summer, we looked at the Puritans and meditating on Scripture. So I'm kind of on a Puritan's kick right now, if you haven't already noticed. Um, I, I value the Puritans quite a lot. Um, they're honestly my favorite group of Christians to read outside the Bible. Um, I think that the more you read them, the more steeped you are in the Word, uh, I think the better a Christian you are. I just really think your heart's warm. And um, I think if the American church read the Puritans instead of demeaning them more, I think that the American church would be a much better church, in my opinion. Um, that's just my opinion. I think most of you would agree with that. Um, so uh, back during the summer, we looked at um, the Puritans and meditating on Scripture. This time, we're going to look at uh, a Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson. Many of you might be familiar with Thomas Watson. He's probably my favorite Puritan writer. Out of all of them, I think he's the, one of the easiest to read, to be completely honest. Um, not all of them are easy to read. Obviously, if you've read through John Owen, etc., um, they can be a little dense. But I think Thomas Watson is probably one of the most um, accessible Puritans there are. And so, um, this is gleanings from Thomas Watson on how to get the most from reading your Bible. So, I, my prayer today is that this is a very applicable Sunday school. Um, we're going to look at what... Uh, Mr. Watson has to say about getting the most out of reading your Bible. We all love to read the Bible. We all study the Bible. And I pray that these kind of gleanings um, are encouraging to us as Christians. Um, one of the things I love about Puritans is they really do get to kind of the nub of the issue fast. They don't like to beat around the bush. And they make observations that I never really even think of. I'm sitting there and I'm reading it and I'm like, I've never thought of that before. Sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow. They'll recommend things, say things, and you're like, huh, I'm not 100% sure about that. But they generally always back it up with a scripture verse. My favorite what? movie is the <laughs> Even Siri agrees with me on that. Um, so, and I, and I pray that Siri is listening. <laughs> Apple needs the period. Um, so that's what all these scripture verses are. Mr. Watson likes to back up everything he says, at least almost everything, with some scripture. And, and I'm really encouraged by these scriptures. And I pray that um, today you can take this home, meditate on this, study it, um, and use it for your own study. So 
we have 24 gleanings from Watson on studying how to get the most from reading your Bible. Um, and so we're just going to move through this. I have some, some quotes from some of Watson's better works. Uh, a Body of Divinity, highly recommend. It's his exposition on the Shorter Catechism. Um, so I, I think most of it, it's in the library somewhere. Um, but this is uh, highly recommend. Pulled a lot from this. I think this one here, uh, A Godly Man's Picture, uh, I would recommend this to any Christian who wants to learn more about the Christian life. I know there's, we've, we're all in different spots in our Christian walk. Uh, some of us are young Christians, some of us are old Christians, some of us are middle-aged Christians. Um, this is my favorite book on the Christian walk. Uh, you will you will glean so much from this. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's easy to read. It's accessible. Um, and then also I was pulling from Voices of the Past. Obviously, uh, Mark's taught from this. Uh, I love this. Um, so that's kind of where we were pulling, where I'm pulling a lot of this from. So let's just go ahead and jump in. So these are just kind of gleanings all over the place. Um, and w- then we'll look at Scripture as we go along. Um, so one of the, th- just to start out, uh, Watson talks about removing hindrances. So getting the most from reading your Bible, removing hindrances. Uh, remove the love of every sin. Remove the distracting concerns of the world, especially covetousness. And don't make jokes with and out of Scripture. The Puritans took seriously the Scripture. Don't take it lightly. Matthew thirteen twenty two. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Uh, prepare your heart. Do this by collecting your thoughts, purging unclean affections and desires, and not coming to it rashly or carelessly. First uh, Samuel 7.3 And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so we see here, this is directing your heart fully to the Lord and putting away foreign gods. Prepare your heart. Uh, number three says, read it with reverence, considering that each line is God speaking directly to you. And I want to read a quote from uh, Watson here in his uh, Body of Divinity on reading the Bible with reverence. He says, read the Bible with reverence. Think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. The ark wherein the law was put was overlaid with pure gold and was carried on bars, and the Levites, that the Levites might not touch it. Why was this but to give reverence to the law? Read with seriousness. It is a matter of life and death. By this word you must be tried. Conscience and scripture are the jury God will pr- proceed by in judging you. Read the word with affection. Get your hearts quickened with the word. Go to it to fetch fire. Did not our hearts burn within us? Labor that the word may not only be a lamp to direct, but a fire to warm. Read the scripture not only as a history, but as a love letter sent you from God, which may affect your hearts. Pray that the same spirit that wrote the word may assist you in reading it, that God's spirit would show you the wonderful things of the law. Go near, said God to Philip, join thyself to this chariot. So when God's spirit joins himself with the chariot of his word, it becomes effectual. I thought that was a great little uh, analogy to Philip and the the Ethiopian and how they 
One was reading Isaiah, and Philip, obviously an apostle, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they come together, and that's really where the power is, is when the Spirit is joined with the Word. Uh, He talks about reading the books of the Bible in order. I think we've all done it. I remember when I first became a Christian, I just started reading it. Frontwards, front to back. Didn't know what I was even reading half the time, but you just read it. The power is in the Word. Get a true understanding of Scripture. This is best achieved by comparing relevant parts of Scripture with each other. Psalm one nineteen seventy three says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And this is one of the first of many quotes from Psalm 119, by the way. Psalm 119 is chock full with instructions, with motivation, with encouragement to read the word, to read God's law, and to submit to it. So you'll see a lot of Psalm 119 in this study. Um, read with seriousness. The Christian life is to be taken seriously since it requires striving and not falling short. Deuteronomy 32.47 says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So your very life, blood, is in the word of God. And Luke 13.24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And then finally, Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So the encouragement here is to read with seriousness because being a Christian and living this Christian life, especially in our day and age, is serious business. Preserve in remembering what you read. Don't let it be stolen from you. If it doesn't stay in your memory, it is unlikely to be much benefit to you. Psalm 119.52 says, When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And so we see here that the word can, can come, but if it's on rocky soil, not good soil, it won't last and will not be a benefit to the hearer. Number eight, meditate on what you read. And we talked about this in the, in the previous study about meditating on the word of God. Um, the Hebrew word for meditate means to be intense in the mind. Meditation without reading is wrong and bound to error. Reading without meditation is barren and fruitless. It means to stir the affections, to be warmed by the fire of meditation. And Psalm 119, 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And Psalm 39, 3 says, My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. And musing there is another word for meditating. And so you see there that he's meditating on the word. His his heart was on fire. And then he spoke. That's the power of the word of God, especially when we're dealing with unbelieving people, uh, challenging people in our life. Go to the word first, rather than maybe firing off that text or that email or firing (laughs) off a word. And I'm speaking to myself on that one just as much as anyone else. I think we all need that. And meditating on the word uh, gives you that mindset to be able to honor God and what you're about to do. Um, nine says, read with a humble heart. Acknowledge that you are unworthy, that God should reveal himself to you. And James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to share a quote here from Watson, specifically talking about um, reading the word with a humble heart. Uh, he, the, the verse here is Psalm 
The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Watson says, we must read the word of God in humility. How unworthy we are that God should reveal himself to us. God's secrets are with the humble. We must cherish every word to be from God and prize this book above all other books. Scripture is the library of the Holy Spirit and the standard of truth. It is the North Star to direct us to heaven. It is the compass by which the rudder of our will is to be steered. It is the field in which Christ, the pearl of great price, is hidden. It is a rock of diamonds and the eye salve to mend our eyes. It is the mirror on which the glory of God shines, and it is the universal medicine for our soul. It is the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations, and the breeder and feeder of grace. It warns us of the rocks of sin to avoid, and is the antidote against error and apostasy. It is our bulwark to withstand the force of lust. Take away the word, and you deprive us of the sun, said Luther. The word is a voice from heaven. Get a strong love of the word. It is a storehouse of truth to adorn the inner man of the heart. It is the true manna with, the, with an abundance of sweet tastes. Seek the whole counsel of God so no truth is concealed. Read it to be made better by it. Let it pierce the rock of your heart and make you fruitful in grace. Apply the word personally. Say, God intends me in this when it presses any duty or thunders against sin. Notice the precepts of duty as well as promises. Focus on passages with the greatest sweetness and that, and that speak to your particular case. Take notice and be warned of examples in Scripture as living sermons to you. Read till you find your heart warmed and labor to be inflamed by it. Implore the guidance of God's Spirit and beg His anointing. So I thought that was a really good summary kind of of what Watson's trying to get to. And we'll get to some of those things he touches on later in this study. So read with a humble heart. Acknowledge that you are unworthy that God should reveal himself to you. Believe it all to be God's holy word. We know that no sinner could have written it because of the way it describes sin. No saint could blaspheme God by pretending his own word was God's, and no angel could have written it for the same reason. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I think this point is well taken. Uh, you know, when you read the Word, when you read the Bible, you know it's different. You know that it, the, that the author is God and not a human author. Human authors would would put a nice little patine on human sin. They would they would kind of cut the corners on human sin, and they would also cut the corners on God's glory and who God is. And none of that occurs in the Word. I think it's one of the self attesting truths of the Scripture is when you read it. You're getting a full view of human sin and God's glory and who we really are as his, as his creatures. Knowing that, knowing that you, you know that humans couldn't have written this alone without the Holy Spirit. Um, prize the Bible highly. It is your lifeline. You were born by it. You need to grow by it. Psalm 119.72, which we just uh, read in, the, in Voices, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. James 1.18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we were brought forth in our Christian walk by the Holy Spirit speaking into our hearts and regenerating us. And God, God essentially spoke us into existence as Christians by his word. So the, the, the Bible really is our lifeline to seeing that. 
First Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So we grow by reading his word and prizing it highly. Love the Bible ardently. Psalm 119, 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. And here, uh, again, a godly man's picture, highly recommend. Um, He has a whole section in here about a godly man is a lover of the word. And he goes through all of the different aspects of, as a Christian, how do we love the word of God? And I just thought I'd share a couple couple quotes he has in here. Um, A godly man loves the word written. Uh, Chrysostom compares the scripture to a garden set with knots and flowers. A godly man delights to walk in this garden and sweetly solace himself. He loves every branch and part of the word. He loves the counseling part of the word as it is a directory and rule of life. The word is the mercurial statue which points us to our duty. It contains in it things to be believed and practiced. A godly man loves the aphorisms of the word. He loves the threatening part of the word. The scripture is like the Garden of Eden. As it has a tree of life in it, so it has a flaming sword at its gates. This is the threatening of the word. It flashes fire in the face of every person who goes on obstinately in wickedness. God shall wound the hairy scalp of such as, as one that goeth on still in his trespasses. Psalm sixty-eight twenty-one. The word gives no indulgence to evil. I will not let a man halt between God and sin. The true mother would not let the child be divided. 1 Kings 3, 26. And God will not have the heart divided. The word thunders out threatenings against the very appearance of evil. It is like that flying roll full of curses. Zechariah 5.1 A godly man loves the menaces of the word. He knows there is love in every threat. God would not have us perish. He therefore mercifully threatens us so that he may scare us from sin. God's threats are like the buoy which shows the rocks in the sea and threatens death to such as come near. The threat is a curbing bit to check us, so that we may not ruin in full, run in full career to hell. There is mercy in every threat. So the, the, the Christian loves the word, and the Christian loves every aspect of the word. The threatenings, the promises, because we know all of that is for our own good and for our own edification. Number 13, come, come to read it with an honest heart willing to know the entire and complete will of God and reading in order to be changed and be better by it. Uh, Luke 8.15 says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And John 17.17 says, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So we come to it with an honest heart and we're willing to know the, the entire and complete will of God by it. And when we read it, we're changed, and it takes root. Uh, apply to yourself everything that you read. Take every word as spoken to yourself. It's condemnation of sins as the condemnation of your own sin. The duty that it requires as the duty God would require from you. And this, this is from 2 Kings 22.11. Uh, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the, the context of this is Josiah. And when the book of the law had been had been hidden and disappeared for a whole generation. 
So no one had read the, 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 the law of God. They didn't even know what God's will was. And then one of the prophets finds the word and finds the book of the law and takes it to the king. And King Josiah reads it. And what does he do? He tears his clothes. He's undone. It's like Isaiah seeing, seeing the throne of God. He, he's completely undone here. And what, what this, the point of this is, is that Josiah is reading this and he's applying it to himself. He's reading this and says, this applies to myself and to the nation. And that's why he tears his clothes. And that's how we ought to read the word, is to apply all of that to ourselves in our walk. Pay close attention to the commands of the word as much as the promises. Think of how you need direction just as much as you need comfort. And Watson kind of touches on that earlier in a, in that, in a couple of those quotes. So we, we, we hang on the promises, we hang on gospel promises, but we also look at the threatenings. And we also look at those as good for our souls. The law is good for Christians to read. It's our guide in this world. It's our guide in how to please God. So moving on, here we have number 16. Don't get carried away with the minor details. Rather, make sure to pay closest attention to the great things. Hosea 8.12 Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. And I, I would encourage everyone to find, Isaiah, or find Hosea, Hosea 8. I think this is a really, I, I don't know why, I read this passage and it just struck me in light of what Watson was talking about here. So the context is, is God is basically condemning uh, Israel at this point for Israel's sins. And starting in uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 8, it says, set the trumpet to your lips, like one like a vulture over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up, and the kings and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. And the point of this verse is in the context of God pronouncing judgments on Israel is that God is saying, I could write 10,000 volumes about my law, about who I am, and you would be so caught up in the details that you would miss the forest for the trees. They don't understand the plot. And I, thought, I think how applicable is that um, um, observation from Watson to us as Christians, the church, a nation, where a nation, a church, a group of people can be so caught up in legalism, the, the, the details of things that you miss the entire point of it. And that is 
God's glory, we're sinners, we need Christ. And I just, I may not be articulating it, articulating it as clear as it is in my mind, but when I read this verse, I was just struck by what God was saying to his people. And so the point here is, is don't, when you're studying the Bible, don't lose sight of the grand picture of what you're reading. Don't, don't get hung up on maybe one little thing. Not that it's not important, because God's word is important. Those 10,000 volumes are, are important. But don't lose sight of the, the grand scheme of what God's trying to say to you. That was just a little aside that I thought was, was interesting. Hosea is a, is a wonderful book. It's a hard book to read, but it's applicable. Uh, 17, compare yourself with the word. How do you compare is your heart something of a transcript, a transcript of it or not? And then he talks about paying special attention to, the pa- to those passages that speak to your individual, particular, and present situation. So as we're reading the word, think about what's going on in your life. Are you experiencing affliction? Are you experiencing sin? Are you experiencing unbelief? Are you sensing maybe God's smile withdrawn? The Puritans like to use that, that imagery of maybe... God's smile is withdrawn. Maybe the, God's sun is behind a cloud. Maybe you're in a valley and you don't feel the warmth of God's warmth. How, how do you, how, we all go through it as Christians. And how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you meditate on the word? And he has a number, I won't go through all of them here, but I really encourage you to, to really meditate on number 18 and look at that. And those, all of those different situations of Christians in the New Testament Old Testament saints finding themselves in situations where they're in affliction, uh, maybe the sense of Christ's presence withdrawn in sin. What does the Bible talk about sin? How, how does it treat sin? How do I deal with my own sin? And then how do we deal with unbelief? We all struggle with that. We're, we're believers. We, we trust Christ. But there maybe those times we're feeling like, I'm, my, my faith is low. I have no faith. I'm an unbeliever. I mean, you may feel that way, even though you're not, objectively, subjectively, you might feel that way. And so these passages, I, I have them here, study those. I thought it was a great point by Watson to, to pay special attention to those passages. And also pay special attention to the examples and lives of people in the Bible as living sermons. He uses this term as living sermons. Uh, the various punishments that you see throughout Scripture. So obviously we know the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And Herod, study those. What do those talk about? How do those speak to us about how God punishes sin? Um, and then in, let's see, Numbers 25. I'm probably way past where I should be in my notes, but that's okay. Well, I won't go there because I actually can't find it in my notes. And I'm pretty sure I put it in there. Um, but those passages, Numbers, Kings, Acts... Acts is obviously Ananias and Sapphira. So how do, how, does, how do you study that? How do you read that as applying to the Christian life? And also uh, pay special attention to mercies and deliverances. Um, obviously Daniel and the lion's den. Um, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. How does God deliver him and comfort him? And then the three youths in the fiery furnace. And so meditating on those, studying those, how do those apply to our walk with the Lord? Um, and then the next one, number 20, is don't stop reading the Bible until you find your heart warmed. Let it not only inform you, but also inflame you. Um, and let's see, 119. Again, I, I get lost in my notes here. So let me. Page six. Page, I'm already on page six. 
Yeah. Thank you. Um, 119.93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And Jeremiah 23.29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So we see here this promise from the Lord that his word is fire, and that it's like a hammer that will break the rock. And that's the rock of our own, our own unbelief, the rock of our hearts, but also others. When we, talk, when we speak the word to others, we know it has power. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives it power, but it can break sin, and it can break that heart of stone and give heart of flesh. Put into practice what you read. Psalm 119.66 Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Deuteronomy 17.19 and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes and doing them. So the point here is we, we read the word, but we put it into practice. And it's a daily activity for us to put into practice the word. Christ is for us prophet, priest, and king. Make use of his, his office as a prophet. Get Christ not only to open the scriptures up to you, but to open your mind and understanding. Revelation 5.5 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. John 8.12 Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we see here, Christ is that light. He brings the light to the word. And so when we're reading it, Christ will open those scriptures to us. He has the power to open those scriptures to us. Um, Luke, and then Luke 24, 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is the disciples on the road to Emmaus, one of the, my favorite Bible stories. Um, they did not know what they were reading. As they were walking, well, they didn't know who they were talking to, first of all. <laughs> but he, they didn't know what they were reading their whole life. They were well versed in the scriptures. They they knew their they knew their word, they knew what was going on, but they didn't truly know what was going on until Christ opened opened the scriptures to them. It's kind of like Philip and the Ethiopian. It's very similar to that. Um, Twenty three. Make sure to put yourself under a true ministry of the word faithfully and thoroughly expounding the word. Be earnest and eager in waiting on it. And that's um, Proverbs 8.34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides, beside my doors. So there's a sense of anticipation here. Being under the word preached, being under the ministry of the word in, in, in church, we should look forward to that. We should be watchful for that. Um, and then finally, pray that you will profit from reading. Um, Isaiah 48, 17 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Psalm 119, 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And Nehemiah 9, 9 20 says, you give your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. 
So pray that when you read the word that, that God will give you, he, he is a generous God and he gives us in abundance. He gives water. He gives his spirit. And that's what these scriptures are talking about. And then finally here, there's three points that Watson makes. Um, maybe there's some natural obstacles that you may feel like you don't profit the way maybe others do. So there might be some natural obstacles. I thought this was kind of interesting. This is as practical as it gets. And I was reading this and I kind of laughed, but I thought these were really helpful. So as you're reading and in your Christian life, you may feel like you don't seem to profit as much as others do. Remember the different yields. Though the yield isn't as much as others, it is still a true and fruitful yield. Matthew 13, 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The reminder here is they all fell on good soil, but there was different levels maybe of harvest. Don't be discouraged if maybe, and we, we've all been there, right? We've talked to someone and they're like, man, this is what I'm getting out of the word. And you're like, I read that exact same passage and I don't even understand it, <laughs> right? Don't be discouraged. You have the Holy Spirit. And you will, have, you will have a harvest. It may not be what others see, but we don't measure ourselves by others, do we not? Uh, you may feel slow of understanding. Uh, I love this one, Luke 9.45. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. In Hebrews 5.11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. The point of this point is not that some of us may be slow of understanding, but we all are slow of understanding. That's what Christ is saying there. And I think that was a humbling. When I read that, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, man. You don't, do you really have to say that about all of us? But yes, that is the human condition. That is us as sinners, is we all are slow of understanding. We are sheep. And then finally, maybe your memory is bad. Remember that you are still able to have a good heart despite this. You may still remember the most important things, even if you cannot remember everything. Be encouraged by John 14, 26. And we'll end on this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So be encouraged by when you're reading the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit in your heart is with you when you're reading the Scriptures. And he will teach you all things. And bring your, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's pretty unequivocal. It's not maybe. It's not, well, I'll just give you a little. He's going to give you all the understanding you need to read the word. And so I pray that, this is, that these thoughts from, from Watson uh, are helpful and an, an encouragement to, to us as we study the scriptures. Uh, and like I said earlier, being Berean Christians and always searching the word. So that will close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, uh, this, this brief time we have this morning together to uh, reflect on uh, what the, the good gifts that you've given to us um, throughout the ages, Lord. Um, thankful for men like Thomas Watson that you raised up um, to write these things down and to encourage us uh, many, many centuries later, Lord. And I pray that the, the word would be, would be richly in our hearts uh, this morning and, and in the weeks to come and in the years ahead as um, we walk as Christians in this unbelieving world. Lord, I pray that you would be uh, with Nathan this morning as he opens the word to us, rightly dividing it, Lord. Uh, I pray that your spirit would be on him um, and that um, this our worship would be honoring to you, Father. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.